Stay inspired on the go with Springboard Zone, an inspirational podcast from internationally acclaimed executive coaches, authors and ministers, Albert and Comfort Okran. You will be inspired and challenged with strategies to consistently reach for new heights. And now, today's message. And today's discussion is about whether we need strong leaders or strong institutions to lead. Let me remind you that we are mindful that we need both strong leaders and strong institutions. But tonight, we are focusing on which one should we start with, looking at our institutions, our our churches, looking at our governments, looking at our businesses, and several other entities and programs of action that we initiate as a people. There are two schools of thought. One school believes that strong leaders can lead and make things happen. Another, another school believes that it should be strong institutions. In the red corner, I have Kubental of Humani Ghana. And in the blue corner, lawyer David Ofosidote. He advises countries and he's also an expert in public administration and he consults in the public sector. So I'm sure you can assume that he will talk about institutions. Well, Kofi will talk about leaders and David will talk about institutions as we slug it out or pull ourselves along this journey in our quest to find out how we can prepare ourselves to actually get things happening in this continent and this country of ours. I'll sit in the middle and just blow the whistle from time to time until we shut down at 8 p.m. David, it's surprising that after five years of Springboard, this is the first time you're on this show. It's good to see you. Thank you. Good to see you too. And it's good the first day I'm appearing, you cited my favorite verse in the Bible from Isaiah. Really? Yes, it is. Something will happen today. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, before we even go to the, the, the main discussion, let me start with the with the the quote for the day from Jeb Bush, who who says that there is a thin line between stubbornness and the positive side of stubbornness, which is dogged determination. Does one need determination? get determination to succeed as a person? I, I think so. Um, I mean, the, the stubbornness part, uh, if it's misdirected, becomes what I will call, or what is called, foolhardiness. Right. Uh, and that can lead you into trouble. But dogged determination, which is the positive side of stubbornness, really can let you succeed. I mean, so you focus on the goal and you don't get diverted by the, the, the things which will, by all means, come up and try to divert you from your main goal. I was just curious about how, how do you cross that thin line? How, when does determination become stubbornness? I, I think any decision you make, whether out of uh, uh, stubbornness or out of anything, must be informed. Right. Because foolhardiness is not informed. It's just stubbornness without any, inform, I mean, without any information, without any basis for the decision making. But if right. you are making a decision on an informed basis, then you can be sure that you need to keep going, you need to keep going and don't, don't get diverted so, so by the difference is really the information that you're working with. Exactly. Right. So our topic for tonight, I mean, let's let's use Obama as the, 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 the premise, but it really is not about him, it's about us. What do we need to be able to get to that next level that we so badly crave? And one school of thought says, listen, let's work with strong institutions. Another school of thought says, let's raise leaders who are strong, who can take the right stand and get things done. Let's hear your opening thoughts on the subject. Well, personally, I'm an Obama fan. I'm one of those people who had the Obama sticker around uh, uh, the car all the time. But on this matter, I disagree with Obama, actually. I, I, I disagree with that statement that Africa doesn't need strong leaders and it, it needs strong institutions. 
I do believe, and I'm for the institutions, all right, but I do believe that strong leaders are those who build strong institutions. So, on, or just on the score of the quote, right. I disagree. So, in, in essence, you will take the pacifist position and say that we need both strong leaders and strong institutions. But if we were to argue from the side of institutions, would you say, for instance, that institutions should start and leaders should follow? I think the main duty of a strong leader is to build strong institutions in the first place. Because if you do not build the strong institutions, then when that so-called strong leader leaves power or leaves the leadership position, whether corporate, national, or anywhere, then the, what he has built begins to I mean, crumble. And, and there are several examples. I think nature itself is designed in such a way that leaders are meant to build institutions. I mean... Uh, I'm not a pastor or a priest, but if I look at the Bible as I understand it, it's very clear that that is how God intends leadership to be, to build institutions, right from the Garden of Eden. Adam is, is given the power to control things. If you look at Moses, Moses was a leader who started building institutions. At some point, he was basically judging people from sunrise to sundown until Jethro advised him, this is too much for you. Divide the people into thousands, into fifties, into hundreds, and then institutions began to develop. Jesus himself built institutions. Every good leader builds institutions. If you don't, it crumbles after you have left. So you will vote for... What, what, what would you call a strong institution? A strong institution... I, I think the strong institution will depend on about three or four principles. Right. First, you must have the framework within which the institution operates. And that framework must be very transparent and clear and open to everybody so that people understand that this is the framework within which we operate. And you can take it from whether it's a traditional system or a formal system. Then you need people who will man those institutions. Then thirdly, you need the rules of those institutions to be very clear. Without having set these three parameters, what will happen then is that what you will call institution will be nothing more than a personality cult. And we can cite several examples from political leadership to corporate governance. There are organizations which have risen, and, and let's, let's deal with the corporate world. Big business which have grown and died with the leader. And this may come from professional services to people who build factories, etc. And especially for professional services, and that's the angle I come from, big medical practices, big law firms. And once the leader retires, then the organization is dead because it was a personality cult and it was not an institution. But if you do build an institution, then it survives the leader. If I take it into the, the, the religious realm, the example of uh, Reverend Istudanaba uh, handing over to uh, Reverend Anchaba, during his lifetime is an example of somebody who is building an institution which can survive during his time. Without that, the leader goes, especially strong leaders, and then it scatters. If you take it to the political realm, you can see CPP, Kwame Nkrumah, strong leader in my view, but he's no more, and then everybody begins to say, my forehead looks like his, uh, I had his book, and everybody then begins to take a separate part. Without that strong institutional framework, when the leaders leave, the, what they build, the success they build, crumble. When I come back from um, speaking with Kofi, I'm going to ask you whether a weak leader can build a strong institution. Kofi, it's good to see you. Ah, nice to see you too, my boss here. <laughs> <laughs> you are a regular on Springboard, and as we celebrate our faith and rest, we are bringing the big hitters uh, to have this discussion about Africa, because some feel that we better get it right now or, or forget it. Do you sometimes feel that way too? Um, you know, is this man 
lawyer for Zidote, he's my, been my friend for many years, and we talk a lot. And he made a point which I repeat often. He says Africa will develop, or Ghana will develop, but it is not going to be by anybody's plan. <laughs> and, and there's a lot in that statement which is true. Right. So when you talk about get it right now or forget it, based on what I do, I get to understand many dynamics. The efforts of governments, the efforts of people, the efforts of the middle class, the efforts of businesses. And what I can tell you is that there's so much energy within this economy. And for those of us who also believe in more than just policy, I think that really God loves Ghana. Okay. What I'm saying is that there is so much going on in different aspects of our national life that I am prepared to say publicly that this country will develop in spite of what its leaders do. And that is not to say that the leaders must not do what they have to do. The truth is this. Our leaders will constitute a barrier or a push. They can do the right things to push us faster, cut the sicknesses and cut the, you know, the whole road short, and then we get there faster, all right, or make it more difficult, but the ultimate will happen, and sometimes I believe it will happen in our lifetime, we will get there, you know, because there are so many things going on, um, what we need to do is just get that leadership side right, and then we will move even faster. It is 21 minutes past the hour of seven, and we are talking about leaders as well as institutions. We agree that we need both to get there as a people. Mr. Bento opens his, um, this discussion by suggesting that um, lots of things are happening in spite of government, and he's saying that government can now become an enabler or a springboard on one hand or, or a barrier on that on the other hand, and that choice is left to government to make. But that notwithstanding, there is enough gravitas and enough momentum in the system for progress to take place. Well, so on the issue of leaders or institutions, you sit in the red corner and you believe that it is leaders, leaders, and leaders. I start with a protest. And the protest is that my colleague is stealing my argument. <laughs> <laughs> when he gave his opening thoughts, I knew there was going to be trouble. The man was stealing my argument. <laughs> you know? Wow. Because, <laughs> I mean, I am talking about leaders. Right. And I'm saying, okay, we have to start. Because you said chicken and egg. Right. The thing is not this or that. The thing is, where do you start from? And maybe what are the rules? And maybe how do we just oppose Ghana in the middle? And when he just started, I saw him going into my area and arguing my point. <laughs> okay. So, more or less, he simply said that. And the thing is about leaders. Right. Strong leaders will form strong institutions. So let's get back to the issue. What first? And then he used the Bible, which I was going to use. I was going to even look at history, human history. If you take out the Bible, you always start with visionary leaders. It always starts with people who get it. Okay. It was about less than 20 people wrote the U.S. Constitution. All right. And today look at it. Okay, so you start with visionary leaders who are able to get you to a point and then they form the institutions that take you beyond that point. Right. Okay, so yes, I also disagree with Obama on that. Africa needs both. But if you ask me, Africa has tried. And then he also made a point which is true. When you have strong leaders who are determined to do something but they are not informed, okay, that will give you the difference between Ghana and Malaysia without mentioning names. They had more or less like 20 years of one man. And we have just about 20 years of one man. And they converted themselves from a third world to a first world, more or less. And we couldn't do that. And it has to do with the information that goes into the decision-making, whether the leader is a, you know, autocrat or democrat or aristocrat or whatever. Every, every type of crat. You see? And that's also the difference between Lee Kuan Yew. Okay? 
and maybe you know the other people we've had. So you clearly need strong leaders in the beginning. Otherwise, you are not going to go anywhere. If if I may come in come in there. Well, in, in, in a typical boxing match, at times you can be a, a strategy and before you are aware, your opponent has picked up the strategy. So, <laughs> so go feel better with that. But, but let's take uh, uh, Lincoln. You I just want to pick it up from Lincoln. Right. You who have had a rare privilege of meeting in person and being in a group of people where he granted an interview for two hours. If you see Lincoln, you face to face and you talk to him and you come and just oppose it to our environment, you will see the whole idea about institutions and the need for institutions. Now, Lin Kuan Yew gives the example of the need to detribalize uh, 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 or, as it were, decessionalize uh, uh, Singapore. And he saw the need to ensure that Malays, Chinese, and Indians could live together. He passes a law and makes it something enforceable that if you're an Indian, your next door neighbor cannot be an Indian. To set an example, to institutionalize this, he moves into an apartment. His next door neighbor is an Indian. And he tells us that. The next morning when he woke up, the smell of aroma from the Indian kitchen almost made him move out. But he needed to set an example. Here is a strong leader trying to institutionalize the need to decessionalize. Now, if you go into our so-called directive principles of state policy under our constitution, which recognizes the need for institutions, I think Article 35 says that we should, the government should provide a framework and foster a spirit where Ghanaians are loyal to the center and not to sections. And I'll go back. Under Kwame Nkrumah's time, he made it a policy that if you were a southerner, for want of a better word, you worked only in the north if you wanted to work in the public service and vice versa. Some, somewhere in the mid-80s, we reversed this good institution and started appointing regional ministers and district chief executives to serve in their localities. That's a very inimical policy. So if you don't have leaders who understand, like a link on your case, that my first duty is to build institutions which will outlast me, then I can step down as Lin Kuan Yew as Prime Minister, become Senior Minister, retire at the age of 90, and Singapore will survive. If you don't do that and you only rely on strong leadership, you may be as strong as Jerry Rollins is, and I believe he was a strong leader, but the failure of institutions will still let you delay, and the 20-year comparison that I'm sure he wanted to make without mentioning names will come, and at the end of the day, one will be in the first world, another one will remain in the upper echelon of the middle-income country. Oh, no, lower, lower echelon of the middle-income country. To argue. Yeah. It's a very okay. <laughs> interesting point. All right, it's 26 minutes past the hour of seven. These are the opening thoughts of my guests. And this is Springboard of Virtual University. If you just joined us, we are talking about does Africa need strong leaders or strong institutions? Whereas we are admitted that we need both. We're asking ourselves, which one do we do first? And which one would drag the other to ensure that we get to the place called there? Um, so far, there seems to be a certain convergence. Even though we are supposed to be still in two corners of, of the ring, there seems to be a, a certain convergence that um, strong leaders must build strong institutions to ensure that the gains that are made will endure. I want to go back to you, David, and, and, and ask you a question because you almost seem to be admitting that f- the kind of institutions that are required to build Africa must be put in place by strong leaders. Not necessarily. What what I'm I'm, I'm trying to and, and, and maybe maybe we from are, examples you give. Yes, yes, I agree. They, they, maybe, they are very strong decisions, and I wonder whether a weak leader can make those decisions. The answer is yes with a question mark, and let me explain why. Because every organization or every country must start with one strong leader. And again, if you come back to Ghana, uh, you have to give credit to Nkrumah. But once you start the nation, and the leader doesn't recognize that his first duty is to build institutions. That's where the problem comes from. 
Because once the leader makes it his focus to build institutions, then the, everything he will do will survive him. I mean, many people don't give as much credit to some American presidents as they will give to other American presidents. But hey, they rule the nation because the institutions are such that anybody at all, quote-unquote, once you've gone through the system, can manage the nation. The same cannot be said of many African countries. What will happen if Mugabe leaves power? Strong man, I agree. If you take a recent past, Kufo is leaving power and 17 people want to succeed him. There are examples of whether we have both institutions that will outlast the, the leaders or not. So I'm saying that I believe in institutions, all right, but they must be put in place willy-nilly. And if you're a leader, weak or strong, your first duty is to build the institutions. You talk about strong institutions, institutions that are transparent, that give drive, that, 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 that make things happen. And I look at our reality in Africa. Why are we not building strong institutions? Is it because the leaders lack what it takes to build these institutions? And we'll be coming down to the corporate level and other as other spheres of our lives. But as as is the case always, we will start with the the governance framework or the, or the broader scheme of things. I think it has to do with the mindset of our leaders also. So we start with strong leaders, and sometimes they have the God mentality. Too many of our leaders have felt like they have to be there. Otherwise, things won't happen. And in a few cases, they have actually undermined certain of institutions. Um, the other thing is that we actually need an active, I wanted to say educated, but I won't say educated, an active and informed civil society to force strong leaders to build institutions. And we've lacked that. Okay, so some people believe there's a conspiracy theory not to educate the average Ghanaian because then when you're educated, you talk too much. So why we have not transited from strong leaders to strong institutions? Partly is because the leaders themselves have had a God mentality and that we have not had an active civil society demanding that. The third factor I see is the people around the leader. You are as good as the people you surround yourself with. I have found, still reading about Kwame Nkrumah the days to today, that sometimes the people who surround the leader feed off him or her. or her okay and it matters to them that he remains where he is a lot of the corruption is about the people around okay and they prod him up push him and try and concentrate the power in his hands so they can feed off him so as a leader you find when you leave office that you really didn't do anything because you were listening and you didn't have your own agenda. That's where ideology comes in. You have to have a certain agenda of what you want to do with the power you get. Because power is a means, not an end. And when you get that power, have people who help you to execute another agenda. But the dynamics of power is like that. Once you get it, you start seeing all the other things that you want to do. It's like money. When you don't have money, you are sure this is what I want to do with the money if I get it. The day the money lands in your pocket, you start seeing all the different things you could do with it, you know. And then all of a sudden, a little goes, a little goes here, a little does this, a little does this, and then you haven't done what you really set out to do. And those three reasons are why I think we have not built strong institutions. I was in a meeting once, and I'd like to repeat what came out of that meeting. Um, donors, World Bank, and all those other people discussing who should be the primary movers of development, the people, governments, or development partners, or whoever. At the end of a long discussion, the conclusion came to this. Until a nation develops an active and vocal civil society, it will go nowhere. And what the role of civil society is, is to hold leaders accountable and not let. 
All right. Yeah. Now, that is the way you get strong institutions. I'm, I'm, and I'm going to come back to you and ask you one simple question. You keep talking about institutions that will force the hand of the leader to build institutions. My simple question, two questions come to my mind. One, has Ghana had strong leaders, in your opinion? And two, why would strong leaders not themselves want to build strong institutions that would help their legacies to endure? And those are the questions that I... I, I why, why would they need people to force their hand? Why would they not want themselves to build strong institutions? The first question, has Ghana had strong leaders? We have had more than our share of strong leaders. Kwame Nkrumah was voted, okay, the greatest African of the millennium. He beat Nelson Mandela. All right, Kwame Nkrumah, our own Kwame Nkrumah. All right, and if if you talk about strong leaders, they don't come better than Kwame Nkrumah. He is world class. All right, he compares with everybody anywhere, JFK, whoever. So we had it, and look at what Kwame Nkrumah did in the short time he was here. Okay, we are still living on some of those things. So when you talk about strong leaders, they don't come better than Kwame Nkrumah. And across, we have had strong leaders. Jerry Rollins was a strong leader. Okay, President Kufo was a strong leader. All right, you can name them. We had many strong leaders. Okay, but we didn't get where we thought we could get to. And some of the people who ended up being great after, Lee Kuan Yu and Co., when they were coming in, they were not known. Even Mahathir Mohammed was not known. It's when they left that people looked at what they had done and started redefining them. So we've had our share of strong leaders. They've done their bits, but somehow we haven't translated appropriately. And it's the three things that I spoke about. The God mentality, everything has to be me or nothing. And there are stories about how Kwame Nkrumah, even at the later stage, got into those you know, situations where he banned things, he did that. It was as if only he could drive the country. I mean, you can hear arguments on both sides, so let's not go there. And then you have the issue about the lack of an active civil society. You had a situation where there are anecdotes about how Kwame Nkrumah was using people who were uneducated. You know, at the time, you know, we had issues with, you know, the populace and education, but he raised it to a certain level. And then you also note that there has always been a certain line between Dankwa tradition and Kwame Nkrumah tradition. And the general feeling is that the more capable people, I said the general feeling, is that the more capable people are in one tradition, so they opt out of, you know, governance. You have not had a situation where our best people have, you know, joined hands together to do things. I mean, if you look again at the American situation, you find them moving across party lines to pick the best people. We haven't had that situation here. And then civil society, when it organizes itself, tends to be political opposition. Okay, now, so when it is political opposition, it, it makes it difficult to work together in, right. in our context. All right. So um, even those of us in the think tank community, we are perceived to be political opposition. All right. There's a two way affair in that one. I mean, it's the way we communicate and it's the way also that the people who take our advice should take it. As far as I'm concerned, the people who run the system should have the responsibility to find wherever the good advice is and take it and use it. Okay. Then you have the situation of the people who surround the leader. These three things constitute why we have not moved our strong leaders into strong institutions. I'm hosting... Kofi Bentel of Humani Ghana and David Oposidote, my, my good friend, a legal practitioner, walking us through whether Africa needs strong leaders or strong institutions. Uh, um, along the line, I will, will come to the corporate sector and find out how some of these thoughts can be translated in, in businesses. But, David, quick, your quick thoughts on this, before we take a, a brief break, your quick thoughts on whether Ghana has had a share of strong leaders and and why these strong leaders have not transitioned into strong institutions. I, I agree we've had perhaps more than our fair share of strong leaders. But, but I, I give think... Me, give me three. Oh, starting from Nkrumah, no doubt about that. Uh, Rawlings, uh, 
our article for John Mahama is too new for us to draw a conclusion, uh, but I think he's showing signs of strength. But having said that, I think what consistently I find missing when we discuss our leaders and why we've not been able to build institutions is that we seem to forget a culture element. We have a culture element, and the culture is basic. We are brought up to believe that everything is centered around us. We are not brought up to believe in interdependence. So typically, somebody becomes a chief. He is Odikro. They carry him in a palanquin, and he feels good. He's on, on the seat for the rest of his life. We seem to carry that into the corporate world even, where somebody sets up an, 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 an enterprise and he, and he goes, it's media. And because it is for him, the workers also have that mentality that, well, this is for this man, and then they stand aloof. So you see that everything is centered around him. He is not there and everything. We carry the same thing into the political world. We elect presidents and everybody calls in the morning to check, is he doing well? When the chief dies, they must announce to him. In fact, on one occasion, when the loose president died, they must go and announce it to the president. So we use these cultural norms to then elevate the people to the point where they feel the God sentiment that he's talking about. And people must recognize this culture and make a conscious effort to remove it because what we are doing is that we are building a modern nation on a democratic principle but on the basis of a culture which itself is centered on the autocracy of one man mm-hmm. and, and until we until we recognize the need to to recreate our systems we are, we are we are not going anywhere and lastly that is the reason why you will need the so-called think tanks and uh, and the civil society because we've come to the point where our leaders must be led where the society must be driven from the back because it's not being driven from the front. That is why you will need that. Let's go corporate. So for co- businesses listening tonight, what, well, we, we, we should have built, we, we should have had, we should have built, we should have had. Here we are now, 2013, going forward. We need to take our place in the economic marketplace and compete with companies that some of, some of which you may say are probably yeah. 100 years ahead of us. David, Let's stop the argument about whether we should have or, or, or we shouldn't have. Here we are now. If there's a corporate leader listening, what do we do to ultimately arrive at strong leaders, strong institutions? What choices must we make? I think corporate leaders must build strong institutions. Corporates only survive on strong institutions because it's meant to be in perpetuity. Otherwise, you set up a sole proprietor enterprise and then it dies with you. But if you want to create a corporate organization which is supposed to live forever then it thrives on strong institutions and it starts with making sure that all the good corporate governance principles and we are not dealing with corporate governance here are in place and coming with a hard decision that hard decision to say that i am ready to hand over this organization create a succession plan i I have done that so i can say that it's not it's not an easy decision to set up an enterprise run it for 15 years and decide that you you don't want to be the chief executive anymore and that's why I gave the example of Reverend Isudana. But I don't belong to his church, but I really admire that for somebody who has a call of God to hand over. It doesn't stop you from continuing the call of God or from continuing practicing in your profession. But if you do that, then you can build a corporate enterprise from the institutions you have created. And you can see that everybody then can evolve to leadership based on merit. Without that, you cannot compete in the global world. Without that, you will remain SMEs and the big corporates from the other world will come, I mean, if you take any typical, and, and let me use law practice which I'm familiar with. You take a firm like Winston & Strong or any of the big Evershares, uh, Allen & Overkley for a chance, the founders may be no more. 
but the firm survive. Go around Ghana and look at the doctors, look at the architects, look at the lawyers, look at the professionals, and find out which firms have survived their founders. You can count them on your fingertips. But you so, so are the industries. But you'll admit that the, the law firms that are being built today, the, the, the typical law firms being built today, have more corporate structures than they used to be 20 years ago. Because that's the only way that you can survive the global market. Right. Kofi, let me come to you. Let me tilt this discussion a bit more. Yeah. It, it is argued in certain quarters that the typical entrepreneur is like a strong leader and does not often have what it takes beyond some point to build strong institutions in the corporate organization. It is said that beyond some point, that the, 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 the routine, structured things that help build entities bore the entrepreneur who seems to like adventure and starting new things. Would you subscribe to that thought? It's not for me to subscribe. It is the fact. So my students in Ashesi University Entrepreneurship class know that we always, I, I always think that it's like an airplane taking off. You need to be, and the average entrepreneur is, a very strong-minded, independent-minded, stubborn person. Okay? And when an airplane is taking off, it needs a lot of power. It needs to blast everything in its path to get off the ground. And then it needs some power also to rise to the altitude it needs to cruise at. And when it gets there, a number of things happen. It has to tone down on all the power and get into what they call autopilot. The thing has to run by itself. And the um, pilots will tell you that the modern plane can almost fly itself. Mm. They punch the thing in and then go to sleep. For real. And it flies itself. Now, the issue is this. If it continues to behave the way it behaved when it was taking off, it will just blow up. It will miss its way. Nothing will happen. So when you get to a point, there is the need to change. And then when it's descending, there are different things it has to do. It's the same thing in the business cycle. There is the ascent, and then there is the you know, cruising stage, and then there's a the descent. When the, the leader should retire at a point and see his company, all right? So that's the way it is, all right? And when you breach those things, you create problems. Now, the entrepreneur may or may not have the wherewithal to do those things, but he must know himself well. So when he's gotten beyond the ascent stage and he gets to cruising stage where the company now can survive, he has to save the company from himself. That is how I put it. Save the company from yourself. What I mean is that if you continue to run most of the things in the company, you will drive it down. And smart leaders know that. Frankly, I wanted to prompt you, we should not equate strong leaders with good leaders. Those of us who teach in those areas, we have to make the uh, difference. A good leader really is the whole package. Right. He is strong when he has to, steps back when he has to. Strong leaders sometimes just keep going. And they believe that the way they made it in the ascent state, the entrepreneurial state, is the same way they have to make it. And they actually speak it. Okay, when I consult to small businesses, it comes out of the meetings all the time. Do you know how I started this business? Do you know what I did to get to this point? But at that point, you have seven managers. And you have to let them run the show. Otherwise, you bring things down. So it's very, very important to appreciate good leaders know when to step back, okay, and then let other things take off. If you run the company the same way you raise the company, you will kill it. You will kill it.
ten minutes to the hour of eight o'clock. This is this is a, a night of revelation. Somebody, if you are, somebody put it in another way. He said, "What got you here will not get, will you, not there. get you there." <laughs> <laughs> Mm-hmm. Ten minutes to the hour of eight o'clock, and this is a subject that will dominate the discussion of the festival of ideas. You are bringing Indidi Nuneli from the from from the Africa uh, Leap Africa, also a fellow of the Africa Leadership Initiative, to come and lead a session on succession planning. She's researching to over hundred years of companies in Africa and so on. And one of the things that we'll be looking at is succession planning. Some people say, I've heard about it. How do you actually do it? And some people think that succession planning is like is 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 simply just about retiring, or it's you do it when you are very old and at the retirement age in your life. There are three stages in it, and again, so back to school. Now you've gotten us into school. So my students had their business school, executive MBA. There's a module I teach called Shepherd Leadership, and Shepherd Leadership is the whole gamut of what you may call succession planning. So if you see an average shepherd, and you city boys, maybe you haven't seen them, <laughs> but there is a stage, you know, they move from place to place, they graze, they come back, that kind of thing, right? So there's a stage where you lead from the front. That is where your people don't know the way or the sheep don't know the way. So you show the way. You show where this is, that is, that is, that kind of thing. But if you're a good leader, as you show the way, you show it in such a way that you will not need to consistently show it. So halfway through, you start moving from the front, you get to the middle. In the middle, there are other people leading the way, but you are in the middle, you are nudging people along. That is the mentorship stage, you are growing leaders and that kind of thing. The ultimate is when you move to the back. If you even see the city cattle, rares and all those guys, who, the best of them lead from the back. The back right. You will see the cattle going and they are in the back. Now, what happens is that if somebody goes astray or they are moving off, he goes quickly and gets them in place. But when he's done, he goes back. Where there are more than one person, the big man in that whole thing is in the back. And the lieutenants are on the flanks. Okay, those are your managers. So shepherd leadership teaches that you start from the front, but you work your way to the back. And when you get to the back, that is where it becomes clear who is going to lead when you are not there. And in fact, when you are at the back, it doesn't matter. Because the people know where they are going. Because you've left instructions, things are clear, all right? And then there is no confusion when they can't see you. Then you can take time off, you can relax, you can even retire, and life will go on. It's just like the military. Generals lead from the back. David, do you foresee that in, in, in the very near future we would we will get there in, in this matter of leaders and institutions? I think we will. I think the the, the way the world is going with globalization and the fact that if we don't catch up, we will be left behind itself will force us to go there. Of course, we will get there faster if our leaders get the whole court of what to do. But otherwise, if they don't, we will push them from behind. Mm. And the next thing we need to appreciate is the leaders themselves must understand this. Today, the growth of the middle class, the growth of education, information, powered by technology, social media, will demystify leaders and leadership. Leaders and leadership will be demystified. The average young child will be able to tell you what your job is and why you're not doing it right. And they will challenge you because of the power that technology gives them. So leaders must start demystifying leadership and their own you know, role. And they do that by shepherd leadership, leading from behind, and by setting up institutions. It's imperative. David, your closing thoughts in a minute. Well, uh, without institutions, and as I said, I, I want to repeat that, the, the, the first duty of a leader is to build institutions because without strong institutions, one of two things happen. 
the leader fails to become accountable to the people that he leads, or he becomes a captive of the people that he leads. All said and done, I hope that every leader listening tonight is carrying something away about how to ensure that you build to last. Thank you for listening to Springboard Zone, an inspirational podcast by Albert and Comfort Okran. Like our Facebook and Twitter pages at Albert and E. Okran and Comfort Okran A for free resources and information about our itinerary, conferences and media broadcast. For speaking appointments, email albert.okran at icloud.com or SMS or WhatsApp us on plus 233-2499-900. You may also subscribe to amazon.com or your favorite online bookstore for copies of our inspirational books and audiovisual materials. Until we come your way again, always remember, you are blessed indeed. Oh, 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 oh